Hey, this is George Lynch from Dokken, Lynch Mob, and a whole bunch of other bands, and you're listening to Hard, Heavy, and Hair with Pariah Burr. Hard, Heavy, and Hair, badass music for badass listeners. I'm your host, Pariah Burke. I recently had a great but far too brief conversation with living legend guitar god and deep thinker, George Lynch. Become a hard, heavy, and hair backstage VIP at patreon.com slash pariah rocks. Hey, George. Hello. Paris? Pariah. What? Oh, oh, that's an H. Oh, that's a, oh, they wrote Pariah. Oh, yeah, it is Pariah. Isn't Pariah bad? That's a bad thing, right? Yeah, but I had hippie parents. <sighs> what does Pariah mean? It means like when you're an outcast. Generally, yeah. Or somebody that, like, I don't know, does bad stuff, whatever. But you don't look like that. Thanks. Well, yeah, so typically it means outcast. But you know how the Greeks and the Romans had household gods and they had gods for everything? Um, there's a Middle Eastern culture where it's not gods, it's fairies, you know, um, and Pariah is the king of the fairy folk. So kind of like the Zeus of the, the pantheon. My parents were in a Middle Eastern studies class in college. So that's where that came from. Lucky you. That's very interesting. I like that. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. I mean, it's better than Steve. <laughs> Good too, but. Steve probably has some ancient connotations that's derived from as well. So, uh, my uh, middle daughter is named Mariah. It's oh, a good name. It's almost exactly the same, except for the M and the P. M A R I A H, and you're P A R I A H, right? Right. It's like the male version of Miranda. Yeah. Um, what are we doing today? This so, is a total rock radio. Well, sound British. <laughs> well, actually, I, I have a show called The Hard, Heavy, and Hair Show. It's syndicated. One of the stations that airs it is Total Rock, but also 97 Underground and uh, Rock Rage Radio and FMs and AMs and internet stations on five continents. So, well, are you coming? You carry right No, Portland, Oregon. Oh, nice. Where are you? Are you in Arizona? No, I wish. I'm in Southern California right now. Uh, I know Robert's in Arizona. I didn't know if you guys were physically close to each other. Yeah, no. All right. So, um, obviously. You want me to talk about the new album? Anything else you want to make sure I mention? I like when you were talking about your name. That was cool. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. So, asterism, Janiaism. Uh, like, I'm interested in all that stuff. Huh. Yeah, it's. Uh, okay. Here. So people often mispronounce my name, but once they get it, they don't forget it. So <laughs> it's a unique one. You like that show, Portlandia? 
Um, not especially. It caused an overcrowding problem. Appreciate that certain kind of humor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got some good bits, but I'm not a huge fan of it. And people come here thinking that the whole town is exactly the way it's presented on that show. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, it's built on a stereotype premise, which is tongue-in-cheek, you know, obviously. I think people are dumb for expecting that. Yeah. It's also the, you know, the state that most recently disallowed black people from living there and working there. Yeah, I only, so I'm a transplant. I'm originally from Boston. I learned about that this past year when everything happened with George Floyd and all the protests. I learned about Oregon's history with black people and not being able to own land or even come to the state. And I was, it was really shocking, to be honest. They had this uh, this sort of township uh, on the outskirts of Portland where they were all forced to live, the ones that were allowed to even sort of exist. Yeah. You know, uh, crammed into some little shitty area, you know, where, but... Yeah, it's, it's just, and then and the whole Eastern Oregon, you know, is all you know, Mueller Refuge, and the, 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 you know, they're all like a lot of rural Western places. It's very right wing, and a lot of militias and sheriffs that feel they're above federal law, and this comitatus kind of mentality, and the Constitution, and Mormonism, and all the silliness that you know is basically just a cloak for selfishness because they it's race they're racist and they want everything for free <laughs> and i i like how they, they they use their argument like you know this 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 rugged individual cowboyish kind of mentality you know whatever myth it's ridiculously silly anyways to begin with but they don't apply that same principle to the land that was that they stole to begin with were from the only actually real original americans yeah native americans so you know you genocided them and used your religion to justify that and then you don't apply that to yourselves so fuck you <laughs> yeah that like clive and bundy and all his fucking crazy family you know they just want free land. They want to, you know, I can't open up a lemonade stand on national forest land for free. Right. It's, it's public domain. It's the commons. But these fuckers just want free shit. Basically, you want to, you want to, gra you want to graze your calf and cow per season for $1.86 per calf and cow, um, which is basically means you're accepting, you're a welfare queen. That's all you are. You're not a rugged individualist. You're a welfare queen. You get free shit. I don't get free shit. I work for a living. For a living, I work really hard for a living, and I'm proud. Yes, of it. you do. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, so I create things. Try to create things of value, whether it's guitars or music or whatever that people appreciate, and they compensate my time and for for my time and energy. But you don't want that, you know. You you want free mining, you know, based on the 1872 Mining Act, which gives away public domain land for, you know, whatever it is, $5 an acre, and then you can go in and rape and pillage and destroy the, you know, the aquifer and land itself in the air and create a blight on the land that's going to last a thousand years. You don't clean it up. So you're like a little irresponsible kid that wants his candy and leaves a giant mess and hurts everybody else except, you know, 
your capitalistic bottom line, which is your investors. So short-term thinking, instead of Native American long-term thinking, which is think every act, you know, think of the consequences of, re, of your behavior and every action you take seven generations beyond you, which is the adult way of looking at things, which is a wise way of looking at things. Don't get me started with this shit. I just get so pissed off. Okay, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, awesome. it is. Let, but let's, you've got some strong views, and some of that's coming out in the album. So I've been listening to the album, The End Machine Phase 2. You, you know, Blood and Money came out. Uh, today you came out with Crack the Sky. Is there an overall message to this album? I have to answer that with a caveat. Jeff and I are aligned politically. We're both very progressive in our political thinking and our, you know, little bit of activism that we try to participate in through our music. And, you know, and I don't know how effective that is. Probably not effective at all. But we feel compelled to try to try to do that because we feel it's the right thing to do. Um, Robert is not aligned with us politically in his messaging. So... When we were writing the lyrics, of course, there was a little bit of rub there. But we both, you know, we all respect each other enough to at least honor the idea of deducing truth from whatever it is we're discussing. And we can have a difference of opinion on the results of that analysis, but we don't have a difference of opinion about how we achieve that, you know, uh, how, how we go about deciding if something is truthful or not. So we're able to have discussions that are, you know, very civil and we can agree to disagree. And that a lot of that has filtered down into some of the lyrics. Um, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the lyrics are completely, 100% pure reflection of what I would consider to be the truth, but um, I made some compromises and, and, and I'm okay with that because that's the world we live in. But, um, but I think generally uh, the message is the same message you would hear from any progressive activist. Uh, and that is uh, it's uh, you know, it, it deals with the, uh, uh, massive inequality, uh, injustice, uh, environmental concerns, um, and, uh, you know, just the way we view ourselves as responsible animals <laughs> uh, and how we should behave. Um, and I think it's very logical and common sense. You know, it's, it's, it's just seemed to have escaped us uh, because common sense would dictate that we have to be responsible and do the right thing. And, you know, wear a mask and not burn down our home and not poison our water and our air and treat each other respectfully. And, and money is not everything. <laughs> it is something, but it's not everything. So we have other metrics that we use to decide how well uh, we're behaving. Uh, there's a country called Bhutan, which has a, doesn't have a gross national product. It has a gross national happiness uh metric that the government uses to determine how well off they're doing on all kinds of levels, education, the environment, uh, you know, unemployment, uh, health, 
you know, all these different things. And that's so balanced and it makes so much sense. It sounds a little hippy dippy and silly to say gross national happiness, but really look what they're looking at, you know, it should be looking. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, isn't, how does it go? Uh, The pursuit of happiness, isn't that part of, you know, the whole American dream? So, yeah, I think I would love to see something like that in this country. How happy are we? How satisfied are we with life? as opposed to how much is in the bank. You know, what I think it really, I've thought so long and hard about this for so many years, and I think really, and I, and I try to drill down to the most basic foundational, fundal, fundamental, elemental elements that, that, that all this springs from, the, 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 uh, the, 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 kiss, the schism between, you know, the left and the right, and, and, why there's, you know, why 50% of this country voted for Trump uh, against their own best interests. Uh, racism, sure, has a lot to do with it, um, selfishness. Uh, but really, I think even more fundamentally, I think it's brain wiring. And I think half of us are just wired to think that fairness, think of fairness in a completely different way. Um, I don't know which came first. You know, the egg or the chicken, because is one thing serving the other? I don't know which came first. I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm just saying that, that really you can't, it's something that can't be changed. I, I don't think you're going to change people's brain wiring to think in terms of short term what's going to benefit me versus long term what's going to benefit all of us. I mean, that's it. You know, in a hive society, uh, you know, maybe a, an Asian culture, you know, thing, people will sort of do their duty and, and work together for the betterment of, this, you know, uh, the community um, or the country as a whole. Uh, you, you, you'll never do that here because of, uh, you know, this, this, this myth of the uh, rugged individualists pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. You think about that. It's, it's, that's a physical impossibility. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It just doesn't happen. It takes... It takes a village. It takes all of us. And for people to deny that is being very disingenuous. Uh, nobody does anything on their own. <laughs> you didn't build the roads. You didn't build the schools. You didn't do, you didn't do anything. You know. Right. And then when people get rich, their money makes them money in this capitalistic system. The money does the work. You don't do the work. You know. So uh, it, I think one of the very simple premises of all this, and I know this is really nothing to do with the music overtly, but it it is about the messaging and the music, is that one of the overarching messages that I hope uh, gets across in the music is that I believe one of the answers is uh, what I like to call uh, raising the floor and lowering the ceiling. So you increase the the, the fabric of the social safety net and you you don't need billionaires. Okay. It should be immoral. Every church, every religion should be against that. Because for every billionaire, you have tens of thousands of people that have to suffer. And the amount of pain is immeasurable. How do you measure that pain of, of, of not having health care or not having steady employment or, or the stress of, of living, you know, without a living wage and all that comes with that? And I've lived like that up until I was 27 years old. You know, I've hot freight trains. I lived with hobos. I moved around. I had no money. I had a bicycle and guitar until my guitar got, got stolen. Then I just had a bicycle. And I lived like that for a long, long time. And it's very painful. And, and, and I have an eighth, a ninth grade education. And I have no skills. 
So my life would have went absolutely nowhere, and I had no way to get out of it. I could, I would walk the streets looking for work incessantly from sunup to sundown. It wouldn't have fit. It wouldn't have fixed my situation. I, I couldn't have worked my way. In. I could dig ditches all day long and work hard. It wasn't a matter of how hard you worked. Uh, you know, I just I wasn't born into a rich family. I didn't have things given to me. It was no silver spoon. Uh, it was just, I'm not trying to brag about that. I'm just saying that I had a dead end life until I was very, very lucky to just, you know, I have this passion. I can't decide to play guitar. I just do because I felt compelled to do it, you know, and think about why I just was driven to do it. And I do it because I love it. I never thought of it as any way to make money or do anything like that. I just did it. And that led like butterfly effect almost to me having some opportunity to make this a career and that worked out obviously but the chances of that was one in a million so for most people that's what i worry about people that aren't lucky like me <laughs> and don't aren't one born with a passion which everybody's not born with a passion it's not something you can necessarily find um you know i need a passion okay good luck uh and secondly people that are born without you know opportunities you know maybe God-given super intelligence or talent or being born rich and having lucky sperm, you know. Uh, other than that, uh, it's all about the policies that we enact and the system that we build to support what should be the best thing for most of the people most of the time. So that's why I say raise the floor and lower the ceiling. Yeah. Progressive taxation and regulation that reduce inequality and create social, economic uh, justice for more people. It's not a bad thing. No, I know it's not. And I wish we had more voices saying that. But I hope music, is, art in general, is a way to reach people with a message. It always has been. And I'm hoping that the new album and some of the things you're saying on it might change a few minds, or at least get a few people questioning their existing beliefs. You know, and some days that's the best you can hope for is at least get them thinking about why they believe something. And Think about bands that that, uh, that are really uh, have been very effective. Uh, some of the musicians and artists have been very effective at sort of explaining these things and being vehicles or, or, or voices for change. Like, you know, especially bands from the late 60s and the 70s and, and then more recently like Rage Against the Machine. So, I mean... How effective has that been? I mean, I don't know. How do you, how do you, is there a metric? Is there data? Is there, I don't know how you determine that. You know, has Neil Young changed anybody's mind? Or is it just calcified, you know, whether you're in one camp or the other and the resistance that people have to the other person's ideas? I don't know. You know, I'd like to think that we, we're, that we can make a change through art, but. I don't know that that's true. I think sometimes we tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better. But they have been, they did do a, a study on Rage Against the Machine fans and found that roughly 50% of them don't give a crap about the lyrics. They're just there for the cool music and the beats and the riffs <laughs> and the, you know, whatever it is, that energy that they have, which is so awesome. And don't give a rat's ass about the lyrics and aren't reading it, you know, they're not focused in on the message at all. And then, you know, I read Tom's, and Tom's in the film that I, the, the, the Shadow Nation film, and 
and, and we talked a bit about all that stuff and, and, and I really respect him because to me he's I mean he's everything I would aspire to be as far as you know having a giant brain and be able to speak out probably about all these things and and uh, he's a soldier for humanity and he walks the walk and man oh man I just uh, I go on his Instagram all the time and read all the comments and you know a good number of them are, are very negative and opposed to his opinions I'm like man, if this guy can't talk you into doing the right thing, who can? Noam Chomsky can't, Tom Morello can't, Bernie Sanders can't, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. I, I choose to, you know, I'm an, I'm an optimist. I, I'm, I'm a realist tinged with optimism. That's how I describe myself typically. Um, and I like to think there's hope for us, but I'm also not 22 years old anymore and totally optimistic about the world and idealistic. Cautiously optimistic, I think, is, is the way uh, you're describing yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, like, I'm, and, I, and I agree with you on that, and I'm, I'm the same way. I'm a hopeful, positive person. And uh, here's the thing about when, when, you're, when you work for the good that we're talking about, it's a thankless job in the sense that, you know, if you work for the other side, you're going on Fox or Breitbart and you're getting paid, you know, if you're trying to do the right thing and work for the benefit of all of us, you know, you're not getting paid. You're just suffering because you're, 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 you're pushing this stone up this hill and it keeps rolling back on top of you and it's exhausting, mentally exhausting and and, and physically it affects you too. And I got to the point where I was doing some environmental activism and uh, which I've been involved in most of my life. And it, it got to the point where I, I was starting to get depressed and I had to walk away from it. I couldn't look at it anymore. I couldn't, I just couldn't. It was just, it was just too painful. And it was starting to affect me and my ability to even do anything. I was becoming to the point where I couldn't even do anything because everywhere I would turn, it would just, be immobilized, you know, so so hard. And I also felt that too when I finished the Shadow Nation film. Uh, it was such a huge undertaking, and it was so frustrating. We saw so much negative stuff, and, and, and we thought, well, the answer is right here. Why can't anybody see that? And we met so much resistance that after I was done with that, I was exhausted and didn't have the energy to deal with it anymore. So I just had to kind of just live my life for a while, you know, just to get a buildup of energy. Yeah. So I have observes, you know, and, and that's just, I think, I, I know people that are not like that. They have this, un, they just have this, this well of strength that, and reservoir to draw from, and they just keep going and going. And I, I wish I could be like that, but I can't. I don't know why that is. And it fascinates me the people that advocate for evil and, and where they where their energy comes from. And I think it's basically greed. Yeah, I was going to say self-interest. Yeah, they're lining their pockets where there's these, you know, uh, you know, fake ministers that don't pay taxes, that have golden temples and giant schools and jets named after them. And, you know, uh, or, you know, CEOs or, or, or politicians that serve them, or, you know, they're just, I don't know why people can't see through this. I mean, unless it's just a lack, I know there's a lot of misinformation, but 
I think maybe it's almost like the lottery effect where people think, you know what? I know I don't really believe this. Like, I don't really believe in religion. I don't believe that I'm really going to go float in a cloud with baby Jesus playing a golden harp for eternity with not a care in the world, which actually sounds pretty boring and miserable. But, but if I just pretend to believe, then I'll have the benefits of whatever else comes along with it in this life. Um, I'm not sure hmm. what those are. The benefits of being a white Christian? <laughs> I don't know. Um, listen, George, I could talk to you literally all day about this. I'm very interested in your opinions, and I have a lot that I think I could contribute to the conversation, but I also know I only have you for a couple more minutes. So. No, no, it's okay. I, I'm really enjoying the conversation, but I know people are going to ask about, they're going to want to know about the new album. Let me just ask you a couple of quick questions about that, if you don't mind. Uh, Mick Brown, your long-term collaborator, was the drummer on the first album. He retired. Now, you didn't go too far looking for a new drummer, did you? It was the logical choice. I mean, it was right there in front of us. Again, we didn't, we didn't, think about it right away. That, that was kind of weird because we we're like, well, should we get this guy, that guy, how about, you know, yada, yada, you know, and then, and then it took me like a, a week or so and I thought, thinking, wait a minute, I could have had a V8. What about his brother? <laughs> and Steve played with uh, Montrose. He played in Tesla. He was a super pro. And I have played with him before. It was a long time ago. And it's so funny because he's a car, you know, he's his, he is his brother, his little brother. So, I mean, they look the same, he sings the same, he plays the same, has the same groove, same personality, he's the jokester of the band, you know, as that same gruff Rodney Dangerfield shtick that he does. It's it's insane, but a little less jaded, a little less tainted, a little less beat up by the business, you know, so that's nice. It's funny, he's, you know, probably like 48, he's the baby of the band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys have been around for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been working together since, you know, way back in Dokken, which a lot of people are comparing. So the Crack the Sky video um, dropped today and you've got a few hundred views already. It seems to be doing pretty well. There's a couple of people saying things like, sorry, this is just another imitation of Dokken style. Now, apart from your signature style and, and you and Jeff working together, you know, it's it's two guys from Dokken playing together now i mean you're going to sound there's going to be some similarities but how do you address the constant comparison to Dokken versus this is just my style yeah i mean well we intentionally uh jeff and i uh sat down and said what, what is this record going to be what what did we do on the last record what does the label want what, what are we hearing um and we decided to be less adventurous and more focused on the mindset that we were in when we sat down in 1985 or seven, whatever. And what was that? So, uh, and we tried to place ourselves back in that, you know, that room and what were we thinking and what was our parameters and what was our, you know, what was our methodology? And um, so we had this little list of things that we that guided us. And, and one was, we want the songs to be access, accessible 
and a little more meat and potatoes, so less adventurous, less self-indulgent than the first record, and also hook-oriented. So we base everything on the hook. The hook is everything. That's the thing that people are going to be singing along to, and that, then when they remember the song, it has to have a title that they can, you know, it's easy to remember. It's, it's, that's why they call it a hook. So yep. that's number one. Okay, so we need those two things. And then we did a little bit of kind of referring back to the old songs, which are just riffs that I write. All these songs are derived from most, you know, 90% of them are just me sitting down, playing a riff, and okay, that's the basis of the next song. And let's do that again. And then we referred a little bit to the old music. You know, we weren't copying stuff verbatim, but we were like, well, you know, like Blood and Money, we're like, let's let's do a new Tooth and Nail-ish esque song <laughs> with a big center guitar solo that kind of goes through all these changes and stuff. And so, you know, but, you know, we're plagiarizing ourselves to some extent. So what are we going to do? You know, sue ourselves? <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, you know, I think ACDC's done that before too. Once in a while. They had, they put out a record. ACDC put out a record. I'm going to be they put out a record that was used some of the same chords from one of their other records. Hmm. I'm going to have to go um, back and figure out which, which, which one that was. Yeah. They, they, they used some chords like A and C and D, and then they use C again. Okay. A, C, D, C. And sometimes yeah. G. And then on that other album, they started using E too sometimes, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm kidding around, but you know what I'm saying? So, um, like what's, I mean, is, I mean, when I write, I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I play things that are, you know, I'll play a riff and I'll go, oh shit, did I play that riff on another song eight years ago on another record? I mean, it's really hard to, to vet your, your, your riffs, you know, it's hard to go back you know, when you've written hundreds and hundreds of songs over decades, you know, and go, God, did I, did I, have I ever played this part before? And so, you know, it's all coming from the same place. So you're bound to replicate some of your licks and riffs occasionally. And, and, and everybody does it, you know, I mean, name an artist who hasn't done that. Right. I mean, there isn't any, I don't think, you know, so, and, and, and who cares? And, and, and you know, who, is that, a, is that a thing? Is that a problem? You know, playing something that's similar to something else you played, you know, uh, eons ago? I don't know. I want to thank you very much for joining me. The new The End Machine Phase 2 album's coming out. Uh, it's going to be great. I have heard it. I've heard every song on it, and it's awesome. Uh, and thank you very much, George, for joining me on the Hard Heavy and Hair Show. We, we need to do a longer interview at some point. I would like to. It's, and and I, I like this interview because it wasn't me just talking about me, you know what I mean? Yeah. We get to talk about things that matter a little bit, which I love doing. I hope you did as well. And, and I appreciate the fact that you were exchanging ideas rather than, you know, you know, there's a little bit back and forth going on, which is nice. I mean, conversation. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. Like I said, I would really like to talk to you more about this. Um so, I mean, if a longer interview or even just grabbing a coffee or something sometime is in the future, I'd, yeah. I'd like that. I've got one right here, and call me anytime, my friend. All right. We're in the middle of 
pandemic. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. Very nice talk to you, Brian. It's really good talking to you, George. And and I really do like the the new album. It's awesome. It really is. We'll talk again soon. Keep hard, heavy, and hair commercial free by becoming a Patreon supporter. At patreon.com slash pariah rocks. Remember, to hear the music discussed in this interview, stream the on-demand Hard Heavy and Hair show at pariahrocks.com. That's P-A-R-I-8-H-R-O-C-K-S dot com. Also hit pariahrocks.com to stream or listen on a radio station near you. The regular two-hour Hard Heavy and Hair show with me, Pariah Burke. Hard Heavy and Hair is your weekly dose of hard rock, heavy metal, and hair bands from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 20-teens, and today, including the latest new releases, your old favorites, and deep cuts and rare hair, along with rock news and trivia. This has been a Pariah Burke production. Copyright 2021. PariahRocks.com. The home of hard, heavy, and hair. Send requests, fan mail, and nude photos to Hard Heavy and Hair on PariahRocks.com. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PariahRocks. Pariah